You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to a very special episode 76 of the Brighton Rock podcast in which Peter and I are rejoined by Andy Bravery. Hello, Andy. Oh, he's on mute, just realised. Oh, <laughs> um, Sorry about that. Yeah, hi there. That's all right. Called him out there. Um, hello also again to Ollie, my Tottenham supporting uh, mate who was on our last episode. He's back with us. He's uh, again looking like he's in the sauna. Hi, Ollie. Hi, Russ. Still on here. <laughs> and completing the five is our very special guest um, that we're delighted to have join us for this special podcast. It is South America's English-speaking most prominent, um, well, football pundit, journalist, would you say, broadcaster, all sorts, and writer, I think, as well, uh, Mr. Tim Vickery. How are you, Tim? Yeah, lovely to be here. I'm kind of metaphorically dodging the seagull shit that uh, is falling on me for the moment. That's an occupational hazard of the lovely city of Brighton. It is indeed. And don't buy any chips because they'll just be gone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, it's absolutely lovely for you to join us. Um, On this episode, we're going to ask you um, a little bit about your background supporting Spurs because we've got the game coming up. Um, we've also want to find out a bit about your career and I've got to talk to you about the World Football Phone-In. You're famed for the World Football Phone-In along with your uh, presenter, Dosan Adebayo. Um, We'll be looking forward to hearing some stories, I'm sure, along those lines as well. Um, So if we could begin just with your love affair. I love the way you talk about football, Tim. Um, You really speak with passion and honesty and you clearly have a love affair with the game. When and where did it all begin? With with my dad, really. I mean, my dad was a was a nearly man. He uh, had trials for for Charlton, um, and uh, he, he was recommended to Hampshire for cricket. And it was his life. It was my old man's life. He couldn't get in the forces during the Second World War on account of being very short sighted, and that that killed him. It absolutely killed him. That killed his self esteem. So the way that he kind of proved himself was through sport. Um, and it, so it, it took on, I think, too much importance in his life, really. And he didn't he, he didn't marry until he was 40, which in, then was like unheard of. Now it's kind of normal. But then, you know, um, so I was 41 
uh, he was 41 when I was born and like, all of my contemporaries fathers, they're all like 15, 20 years younger. Uh, and I, as his first son, I had this almost obligation to, to fulfill his dreams for him, you know, so uh, I didn't, I had, you know, he wasn't an academic man anyway, he didn't have a lot of qualifications or anything, but I didn't have any academic pressure. Um, I just had pressure to be good at football and good at cricket. Uh, and uh, I, I fairly early on realised that I'd inherited the enthusiasm, but I inher hadn't inherited any of the talents. So it, it was apparent to me from because he used to go and watch me and, uh, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd be on the, the, the touchline shaking his head. And I knew that I wasn't going to make my living as a as a professional footballer, but I, I, I loved it. And it was never really a problem for me that I wasn't I wasn't going to be a professional because I loved it. I mean, I, I can still remember. The first, you know, the, the, the old football albums, you used to get little biographies of the players. You know, this is like pre-Panini days. The first one, it was the start of the 71-72 season and he bought me the album and he bought me some stickers. And the first one we ever put in was Pat Jennings. And I can remember doing that with uh, with uh, with my dad and putting putting the, uh, the, the stickers in. I can remember wanting to learn to read because I wanted to be able to read these these biographies that were really strange. I don't know if anyone's old enough to remember them, but the biographies were like full of things like a veteran schemer who made his bow against Huddersfield Town in 1959. So I think I had a very strange vocabulary when I was six or seven. And uh, it, um, it, it also taught me about the world, you know, because we'd never been outside England. My old man, he got to 84 without ever getting further than a weekend in Dublin. But, you know, if you're into football, you're, you're into the world as well, you, uh, you know, World Cups and so on. So uh, it, it socialised me because, you know, you just throw a ball to a group of kids and everyone's a mate. Uh, it, it, it kept me out of mischief and it, it educated me as well. So I, I, have, a, I have a huge debt to, to football. And, you know, after all this time, I watch too much uh, and it, it, it can get to you. And also it's one of those things where right up close it's not always a pretty sight you know there are a lot lots of aspects of, of professional football that that aren't pretty so there, there there are things that can chip away at that love but at, at the end of the day still on the field in the stands in your house as you are these days i can still find enough purity in the thing to keep me hooked Wonderful. That's great. And you were from the, I think I'm right in saying from what you mentioned once before, you're from Hemel Hempstead, was it? Yeah, right? yeah, which is uh, Newtown, um, London yeah. Overspill. Uh, it's kind of northwest of London, but a lot of people who came out there, um, uh, kind of mid-50s mid onwards, a lot of people were from, from northeast London. A lot of people from the Tottenham area. That's not why I'm a Tottenham fan. I'm a, I'm a Tottenham fan because my dad was. Uh, um, but and he wasn't a supporter and he, 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 he couldn't understand the mentality of being a supporter. He was a player, not a supporter. So he, he could never understand the, the kind of, you know, the, the suspension of logic, the complete delirium, the state that the football supporter enters. You know, it's not for nothing that in Italy, the supporter is called, a, you know, the, the, the tifosi, those who suffer from typhoid. He, he never had that, that. Uh, that mad, passionate supporter thing. He 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 looked at the game as a player and as a lover of the game. And I I've I've inherited some of that. I'm I'm a terrible supporter. You know, I, I love the game much more than I love any club. Mm. 
Excellent. Well, that's, that's, that's good to hear. I mean, you, it comes out with everything you say. You, the, the passion really just exudes from every, um, from every um, orifice, I suppose you could say. Um, it, it really is. <laughs> Maybe that's the wrong thing to say. But anyway, you, um, you certainly have the passion for it. And I think that makes for excellent radio because it comes across um, with, with what you've done in, uh, in your career. Um, how did you first start to angle towards the career you've got uh, now? I mean, how, how did you work your way into it? And when did you first know you wanted to work your way into it as well? Oh, by failing at everything else. Um, and I left school in, in 83. There was no, just no jobs to be found in 83. It was, and even in Hemel, which is relatively prosperous, you know, it was just like a ghost town. I ended up getting a job in a menswear shop and that went bust. I was going to get a job before in a local paper that went bust. So I had all the A-levels and stuff. So I'll go to university just to, just to ignore the job market for three years. I'd never thought about it before. Never knew anyone who'd been to university. I had a ball. In fact, going to university kind of sport me, really, because uh, it, was, it was just too easy. You know, it was just three years of, of, of fantastic socialising. But it also, um, it's where I was in university between 84 and 87. It's where I rediscovered a love for football. Because uh, around, from the, the, the late 70s and early 80s, music took over. Uh, the music scene, that, that, it, was, it was sensational at that time, I think. And the music and football then were in totally separate spheres. They really didn't go together at all. Uh, and, and I chose music and I played in bands and, 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 and stuff. Uh, by the mid-80s, the music scene, I think, had lost it. I, mean, it, it, I have arguments with this, but the moment for me that, that I think is the big sack of shit is Live Aid. Uh, and without knocking anyone intentions and, and all the rest of it, but as a cultural event, I thought it was just a huge shower of shit and anything that, 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 that uh, puts Queen on a pedestal, you know. <laughs> I had a feeling you were about to say well, no, Queen. Fuckers <laughs> who'd been to South Africa, who'd broken the UN cultural boycott, yeah, and yeah. now they are, you know, they're, they're, they're doing this, this, this event for Africa. And you're thinking, I'm thinking, watching this, thinking they're shit, they're fucking shit. But surely, surely there's one song, that Live Aid, you ain't going to do. We are the champions. No time for losers, because we are the champions of the world. And they yeah. fucking did it, you know. And at that moment, when, 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 when they weren't struck down, I thought, well, this is crap, you know. Uh, and it, it, was, it was the moment for me that the music scene died, I think. Because afterwards you get the bleeding heart charity things, and you know you, all the edge was gone. Uh, and uh, I, I was um, in uh, at college in the build-up to the '86 World Cup. So this is when you know I, I went to college. It was uh, Warwick University, which was a field outside Coventry, and it was the furthest north I'd ever been at the time. So I really wasn't very cosmopolitan apart from knowledge in football. And here on the build-up to the '86 World Cup. I'm surrounded with people not only from all over the country, but from all over the world. And I, I, I became hooked again. Uh, it, so th that is probably the moment when I thought, um, yeah, that's football is going to be a part of my life in some way or other. And then when I left college, I didn't really want to, you know, I mean, I'd had, it had been so great and so easy that the idea of getting a job, you know, I'm too lazy for that. So me and a few mates, we set up a magazine. Um, on, on the Enterprise Allowance Scheme. In fact, I financed this. Uh, I got some money together during the summer of 87 by working on Brighton Pier. 
um, selling, uh, I was selling t-shirts on, on, on Brighton Pier, trying to get some money together, get some capital together to launch our magazine, which was a comedy magazine. Um, we uh, wrote it. We uh, hired something very flash at the time. This is 87, 88, uh, called a, you might have heard of it, called a computer uh, and uh, we kind of, you know, laid it up on a desktop publishing thing and then took it down to printers. And then we went, went around the country, mainly to colleges, knocking on doors, trying to sell it. We went bust fairly quickly. You know, economies of scale in publishing are all against the small scale publisher. Um, Rory Bremner saw a copy, liked it, invited us to go and write for his TV show. Um, and uh, at the BBC. So I went down there and it was the big moment when... Um, you discover you're a, a Vauxhall conference player in the Premier League and there ain't nothing worse than being a comedy writer who isn't funny. You know, I, just, I, I had no idea what I was doing there. I was out of my league. And so I, I had no idea what I was going to do then. Uh, and I spent time, you know, sleeping on, on, on mates' sofas and, and so on. And again, by chance, a mate of mine was working in a theatre in the West End of London. And uh, she said, look, you need something. We need someone part-time. Why, why don't you uh, come and work here part-time? And uh, I ended up uh, just falling in love. I'd been to the theatre once in my life when someone got me free tickets to something I hated. Um, but I just fell in love with it. I didn't fall in love with the actual art of theatre, but I fell in love with the idea of being in the West End of London all the time. Uh, and it was just so cosmopolitan. It was a kids' theatre in the day and an adults' theatre in, in, in the evening. So it was always very, very busy and, and, and stuff. And we had a bar downstairs that was mainly staffed by Brazilians. And uh, I started to get curious. And I was looking for something new to do, you know. And I loved working at that theatre. I ended up being the, the theatre manager. And I loved working there. But it was always just about to close, you know. The, the sword of Damocles was, was always kind of hanging over. So, you know, there was no other theatre that I was ever going to be able to work in or would have wanted to work in. So I think... I'm thinking I need something. I need to find something else to do. And... The idea of football journalism, the day that it, right, I really should be thinking about doing this, was the day just after the 1990 World Cup when Graham Taylor got appointed England manager. Because, uh, you know, I thought he was a fool who was ludicrously out of his depth. Got that one right. Uh, and uh, um, I bought, there was, it was a Sunday in the theatre when I just had to be there. I didn't have anything to do, just had to be there for some reason. Uh, so I bought all the Sunday papers and the vast majority of them, you know, the, the, the big football journalists were saying, yes, he's the right man for the job. There was one or two, uh, Brian Glanville was, was saying, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a cretin, he's a, which, you know, <laughs> he was, I mean, let's be fair. Uh, and he also stitched up his mates. So, uh, you know, um, let's be fair again. Um, but when I was reading all these people saying yes he's the right man for the job i thought you know forgive them oh lord they know not what they write uh and they're making a living from this you know from this this tomfoolery um i, I should get in there uh so it, it, it was it was in the back of my mind but how'd you get in i've no idea i don't know uh, and so I, I had the thought of putting them two together i'd like the experience of living living in another country uh I'm running out of time to do it because uh, when I moved to Brazil, I was 29. That was 1994. If you don't do it, then, you know, it's, it's difficult. You can't do it when you're 39. You really can't do it. You know, cause at 29, if it all goes wrong, then you can come back and look for someone else. You know, you can't, 
time is like a funnel and if you get a little bit little bit older that that, that becomes that becomes much more difficult um so i thought all right well i'll go to brazil and it was just a very vague idea i'll i'll try with with, with football journalism there there was nothing planned on uh, um i had a three-week recce in 1993 uh, and thought yeah i can do that why not and then made made the leap in 94 i chose to come to rio because i didn't didn't know anyone in rio so uh you know, I purposefully made things you know, with with the idiot naivety that you have when you're 29 that you need because you know I mean looking at it now I'm thinking you know I'm 55 now you only see the risks when you're 55 when you're 29 you just say yeah get in there and that that naivety was was absolutely necessary because I walked you know I went hungry for it was it was hideous really. and the only thing that stopped me going home was I didn't have a penny didn't have a job and I can't go back in winter with my tail between my legs you know I've, uh, I've got to stick it out but it, it turned out to be to be the best decision I made and then gradually things started opening up it took, it took a while uh, I moved there in 94 and it was got, 97 is the year that the drawbridge to paradise uh, suddenly descended and uh, and and um, I've, I've, been, I've been living that living that ever since I, I can still not I, I still find it hard to believe I got away with it you know I mean I still have to pinch myself and think yeah yeah you know I've got away with it it kind of you know, I haven't been found out yet but you know here I am <laughs> So you were sort of doing individual stories for pieces for um, local oh, papers, that kind of thing, was it, at first? Uh, um, I was trying. I was, I mean, this, is a, this is a time before the internet. Um, so uh, I'd, uh, I was sending stories off on faxes and, you know, I mean, that cost money that I didn't really have or, or doing little media packs of articles that I'd written. And I might get one or two. I got a couple of pieces in a, in a short-lived magazine called GQ Active, which was a kind of sports thing of GQ. Uh, and then I got into World Soccer magazine. And that proved really important because uh, I had a front cover on World Soccer um, early 1997 uh, and this was at a time that was a it was a documentary team in England they were making a, a a doco for the BBC called Gary Lineker's Golden Goals where Lineker was traveling around the world interviewing uh, other top goal scorers in World Cups or people who knew them and they were trying to set up a Brazil shoot from England without being able to speak Portuguese well, good luck with that. You know, it just wasn't happening, you know. And so they saw this front cover thing that I had with World Soccer, got in touch with me via that. And then I worked on that program. Um, I worked on that shoot with, with Lineker in, uh, in middle of 1997. And that went well. And that kind of got me into the BBC World Service. Uh, and uh, someone there heard me on the BBC World Service and thought, well, why don't we try this one out for for uh, nighttime Radio 5, the, the up all night thing. It, 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 it had just started and they needed content. So I did a thing for them. This is December of 97. that I, I did a roundup for them thinking, well, that was it. And then they phoned up the following week and said, you ready? Ready? Oh, all right, we're doing this every week, are we? And I'm still doing it. So that's that's uh, that's 23 years later. The thing that I thought was just a one-off, one-off, like five, ten-minute radio hit has uh, has uh, for 23 years been a huge part of my life. Yeah, and that is the thing that I think pre people probably know you most for, isn't it? Now the World Football Phone-in as part of Up All Night um, for a number of years. You've been, I think, I'm right in saying you've been an ever-present since you've been on there. I have, yeah. Yeah, 100% record, yeah. Whenever it's been on, you've been on, yeah. And it's been on most weeks, hasn't it, I think? That, yeah, we, we, we were off. Um, sometimes we're off when, say, I remember 
the Paris bombings, you know, the Paris terrorism thing that happened the day that we were. So we were off for stuff like that. We were off a, a few weeks during the Iraq war, and then we were off for a few months during the, this, uh, this Corona thing. We had a, we had a long halftime break then, but apart from that, it's been, it, it's been fixed. Yeah. And uh, I have, I have done all of them. Um, that is basically known as panic because uh, somewhere along the way, right at the start of the story, I, I kind of, uh, in a, in a in a in a fit of stupidity, I, I kind of gained a family to support, you know. So, um, uh, and it is. I mean, it, it's great. I love what I do, but it is the gig economy. It is, uh, you know, there ain't no guarantees there. So, uh, you know, um, uh, you, you're 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 motivated by by pride in your own work, but also by by the by the fear of it all drying up. Yeah. So nearly a quarter of a century doing the show. Unbelievable. That's, that's amazing, isn't it? And it, it really don't could. seem a day too long. Yeah. <laughs> For anyone that's interested and doesn't know, it's um, it, it traditionally been out on Friday night, Saturday morning. Effectively, I think it was two in the morning, wasn't it? Um, normally on Saturdays back in the day or around that sort of time. But it's now moved in very recent times to Tuesday early hours. Um, yeah, when we time. started, it was Monday. It was Sunday into Monday. Oh, and then right. in a, in about 2004 or something like that, I can't remember when we moved from to you know Friday Saturday. So we 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 we're going round all all the days of the week. You know, if uh, if we're here for another 50 years, we we might manage to fill you know do all seven of them. Yeah, it's like um, winning games on days of the week, isn't it? Um, <laughs> can you manage to get all seven into your uh, club's history? Yeah. Um, well, the World Football Phone In is presented by Dotton Adebayo. I think it's uh, it's excellent. He's excellent. It's a really difficult job. I can imagine how difficult. Um, but he's been a stalwart of it. And anyone that does know it will know expressions such as Brazilian shirt names, declaring one's interest. Uh, that's a favourite of yours, Tim, isn't it? Um, Robert Lewandowski features on a regular basis due to a certain gentleman. Um, and amongst other things, there's lots of music lyrics thrown in, particularly by your good self. Um, little little subliminal messages, incursions into the uh, conversation. Well, I have um, to enjoy myself, you know. Exactly. I, exactly. I, I love all these li- these these little things. I love them because it's like the the idea of it. I think is we're sitting around a table having mm. a chat, yeah. and you can c- come and sit with us. Come and sit with yeah. us and be and be part of that. And and so it's like a it is it's like a gang thing. And I, I, there are many things I love about it. I love the warmth. And Dotton's so important for that warmth. He's yeah. such a, he's the greatest warm phoning host in the history of radio, I think. He's, he's magnificent at generating warmth. But I also love the emotional range. I love the fact that we can go from absolutely stupid to more serious than a, than a, than a World Service uh, um, thing. And yeah. we, we, we can, sp- and I love that. Um, and it, it, it's, it is something of, it's a body of work that I've become really proud of. Dotton is actually the third presenter. We've been very lucky with presenters. Um, the, the first, when it first started in 97, it was a fellow called Richard Daly, who saw that it was getting a reaction and he, he pushed it and that helped. By the time we were phoning, it was Anita Anand, who a lovely, fit, and, and, and she just, manage that transition because when it became a phone-in uh, originally an hour and i thought there's no way that this is going to work and, and uh she managed that transition really well and then came in the, and then the, the big man uncle d to the world Dotton. and i was just telling uh, i was just telling my wife today who thankfully doesn't speak a lot of english so she doesn't really understand what i'm what, what we're getting up to uh, <laughs> right in the early stages of of 
of me and Don. We didn't know each other particularly well, so we're still working on a relationship. And uh, just before he came to me, just before our segment started, before the news, he was doing a, 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 an item on tattoos. Uh, and it closed with the idea that uh, one fella, he he'd had a tattoo done on his dick. And, and during the news, I was thinking, Don, please don't come to me on this because I won't be able to resist it. I can't, you know, I can't resist it apart from temptation. Um, but sure enough, he didn't, you know, and uh, when he came back to me, he said, uh, and uh, have you got any tattoos? Uh, and uh, I went with, um, well, yeah, a matter of fact, yeah. And if, if I understood that last uh, um, thing there, where that gentleman has a tattoo, I have the, the, the whole of war and peace tattooed. <laughs> And that was the end of the next 10 minutes, you know, because he, he's, he's one of the great radio laughers. And he just yeah, collapsed. He, he just collapsed in, you know, because uh, people don't often talk about having War and Peace tattooed on their appendage on, on, uh, on, on, on the BBC. But we did, and, and we got away with it. And, and that was something that kind of cemented, cemented our, our relationship, I think. Definitely. I think that was a bit of a coup getting that on there, definitely. Um, and one, of, one of the other famous features of it is, and I agree with everything you said about Dotter, he's brilliant, he really is. Um, he is a very warm guy. One thing he's not very good at is singing. Uh, he's got a famously t- tone-deaf singing style. It really is, uh, you know, the cat runs out when she hears, mm-hmm. hears it. Um, not great, which is ironic, because I think his wife's a singer as well, isn't she? That's right, yeah, yeah, yes. And in yeah, fact, if I recall very, very famous, you know, if if you were around the London area, hmm. that time, I mean, Lovers Rock is a is a is a really significant British West Indian hmm. invention. In invention, and and she was she was one of the queens of, of Lovers Rock. And I, I'm so sorry, it's just like a like an anthem. Uh, I, I imagine the Dottons yeah. had to say I'm so sorry to her a fair few times. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that, yeah. And I mean, she, you you yourself have had uh, you've been serenaded by her on, I have. on the yes. airwaves, haven't you? Yes. Tell us yes. about that. I know, but well, that, that, that was nice. Yeah, that was. Uh, you know, once 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 you get to my age, uh, having birthdays is not somebody who's celebrated anymore. But that was uh, that was a lovely reason to to celebrate having having her singing happy birthday to me. In the Marilyn Monroe style, wasn't it? Indeed, Something yeah, like... I felt just like JFK, and I'm, but the bullet hasn't reached me yet. <laughs> not all bad, then. Not all bad. Excellent. So, I mean, it's it's a brilliant show. I recommend people listen to that. Certainly, um, obviously, it's available as podcast as well as most things are, including this nonsense that we're recording tonight. Um, well, half of it is uh, nonsense. Your half of it is fantastic, of course. <laughs> Boys, at this stage, I'll also mention, if you want to throw in any questions, Andy, Peter, and Ollie, please do so. Um, but moving on in terms of the uh, the show, what's, um, what do you think are the, um, the key moments for you, from your memory, going back through the years, past or present, recent or otherwise, that have really stood out and why? I find that one hard to answer because it's a little bit like when people ask me about what's what's your favourite recent game, and my answer is always the next one. You know, what are we going to do next? Uh, I, I very very rarely listen to it back, so um, th- th- this I mean, this saddens me sometimes because uh, you know writing. Now I'm, I'm jealous of musicians more than anyone else. Because you know they can do something 35 years ago and it still touches people today. As journos, we don't have that. You know, it's, it, we don't have the same emotional force. Obviously, the written word has more permanence, but you can't. We, 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 there's no way that we can touch people 
on the level that music does uh, and uh, radio um a lot some of it will stick with 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 people a lot of it is not meant to stick um but it it, it doesn't tend to stick with with me and at the end of the program i think yeah that was a, that was a great show or that wasn't so great I, you know i want to do better next time but i don't tend to remember much about it i'm, I'm already moving and also i mean that that's true about things that you write as well on the way that the industry has gone now you've got to in order to make a living you've got to write quite a lot of stuff you know i mean I, i'm very envious of the old guys they say you used to work on the sunday newspapers it's like one piece a week you know so that they've they've got so long to prepare that particular piece the way that the industry is gone is you know very few people have have that 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 kind of luxury you are writing and so people will remind me of stuff that i wrote three weeks ago and i've forgotten it already you know once i've hit the send button it's like what's the next one you know that one's gone i've done that one what what's the next one which is is pro is, is unfortunate i think um if uh i mean i love writing for world soccer magazine um because that's something that i've done since um since early 97 because there is the idea of more permanence there you know um sometimes you feel a little bit like you're pissing in a swimming pool <laughs> indeed and that's not not a pleasant thing is it really no, um, no. with them um, with the punditry side of things um obviously you've talked about your love of the world cups and the international flavor to things you um I, I thought it was well overdue to be honest but you you ended up doing some punditry for the brazil-based world cup didn't you in uh, a few yeah, years did, ago yeah. uh, for was it for bbc yeah yeah well, that was great to see you on there i thought that definitely added something to uh, to their coverage um how was that in comparison because you, you've been doing i should explain you've been doing uh, a lot of tv work in brazil haven't you you're a regular on a which show is it yeah, it's called Hera Sun Sports TV. Um, it's what, two and a half hours every. It's usually Friday that I do it. Um, yeah. So uh, th the idea of doing TV, and I've been doing that regularly since 2010. Um, so uh, you know, and doing it in the morning in a second language uh, is much much harder than doing it, you know, in in your own language in in the afternoon and and, and the evening. What got me on? that i think with the bbc what got me on the city was <laughs> the the political situation because uh, if you remember the year before during the confederations cup suddenly there was this massive protest movement and uh, it, it it took over and you know the actual world cup itself it was in doubt for a while as a, as a kind of public, is this going to go ahead? What's going to happen? And I think the BBC thought that they needed to bring in someone who um, could deal with that as well. Uh, and that kind of got me on and, um, and it seemed to go very well. And the, re the reaction was, was, was very positive. Uh, and uh, I enjoyed it. They told me that they would do the same with me in Russia and it ended up not happening. Um, there was a change at the top, a change of the guard at the top. And um, no, no one ever, this is the communication, the communications industry. So no one ever communicates with you. Um, you never, never told why. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the outside anyway. And very, very happy to be on the outside as a, as a, as a niche player. I'm, I'm very happy with that. But when I had a look and saw what they were doing, I, I've, forgive my ignorance, I've forgotten her name, but it seemed to me that the 
the person that they got instead of me was a female player who was black. Yeah. So, you know, I thought, terrific. It's not a problem at all. You know, I, I had my minute and it was, it was, it was, it was great. It was hard work. Um, but you know, I had lots of other things, radio and so on. So I, I didn't feel at all bad about being passed because they said, make sure your passport's in order because we're taking you to Russia and so on. And it, it, it never actually happened. And it would be nice to have someone saying, yeah, we've decided against that because this, 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 this. But, you know, you know how the, the, the industry works. And it wasn't at all a problem for me because at least the, who was on the settee was diversified. I continue with the belief that articulate journos have a part to play, especially when it gets international, because uh, um, th that's where I think we, we have most to add. Because you had that cultural input as well yes. on top of the yes. football. Yeah. But you know, the radio had allowed me to do lo lots of that, and uh, it was great to see a female footballer on there, given yeah. her perspective, and added to that a black female player. So yeah. no problems at all. I might be wrong, but I think it might be Alex Scott who did that, um, who's been on Match of the Day over here, um, Football Focus and various other things quite a bit recently. She's very good, um, if that is who, who we were thinking of. Um, there's also, in fact, on the female side of things, there's also Karen Carney, who I think is an excellent pundit. Um, she's really good. She's had a number of games for England uh, through the years, a, a long career, and she, her input, the, the tactical detail she goes into that you really can only get from an ex-player is really really insightful and um i think it's great it's great to see that diversity um when they're talking about the men's game they could easily have shirked that but they haven't done and i think that's that's great so mm -hmm. it's good it's good to see and um yeah fair play on that one in terms of um you going back to the show you were saying about um you've had some really interesting moments from the comedic through to the very serious there's been some very poignant moments and i think also just cultural history has come gradually through the years has come come out in various forms hasn't it there's been a lot of contributors to the show just ordinary guys or girls phoning up and they've told a story and it's really enriched i think the show and certainly the uh, the enjoyment of it by all of the listeners um on various subjects um it could be something a very obscure story but with a really interesting um element to it and I think for me, that's one of the most enjoyable parts about it. I don't know if you'd agree with that. Yeah, um, I do. Yeah, exactly. Because that, that's people coming to the table hmm. and contributing. And that, that's great. I mean, uh, lots of people have got in touch and said that the, the show has kind of changed their lives in, in respect, one respect or other, either pushed them in new career directions or got them uh, married, you know, through some kind of connection. And that, that is just an amazing privilege. That, that's the bar that you try to aspire to every week. And I, I, get, I get annoyed when I think we fall below that. Yeah. I think the other thing that I really like about, uh, we were saying off air about the, the Kermode and Mayo uh, film show and your, you guys on World Football Phone-In, I think there's a lot of similarities for me in that. First of all, they're probably my two favourite podcasts on the respective subjects. Um, but also, I think they've got a few things in common. Firstly, it's it's generally a two-hander, although the World Football Phone-In usually has a third person on rotation, don't they? Um, but it's it's kind of like a little bit of an odd couple scenario, I think, in both cases, which is quite fun. Playing off each other, 
through the years you've been working together so you've started to really bounce off each other and that adds a much much more uh, detailed element to it which is great great to see and it's really good fun to enjoy um so i think that has that in common and i think you just get a lot of extra extra quality out of it the other thing is that what you tend to find is you get a lot of people and i know you've had this on world football phone and it's been mentioned directly um people will listen to the show regardless of their interest in the subject i think it's that. um, that, 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 yeah. that's one of the biggest compliments that anyone can pay um yeah. that they're not particularly interested in football um but they, they like the show and they like it for two reasons one it can be the banter the warmth between us or the kind of cultural knowledge uh, and, uh, you know, fo- football's never just football, is it? There, 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 there are so many things around. If it was just football, it, w- if it, it would be like numbers. You know, it would be like bingo. But it, it isn't. There, there, are yeah. so, there are so many other things, other areas that you – and you can use it as a starting point to go in so many, so many different areas. And thankfully, with the phone-in, we've got time to do some of that. Yeah. The, le- the duration helps, doesn't it? You can start to really un- unravel things. Yeah. It's, it's great to see. Um in terms of through the years, you've you've also pointed out a number of talents coming through. In I ain't the, got in many wrong. It, it ain't any clients, <laughs> especially if it's me doing it. Well, one you've definitely got right was Lionel Messi because he's quite good, isn't he? Um, yeah. <laughs> and you you flagged him up quite early on. Who's the one you've got most wrong then? Do you think? Um, I've got, there's there's a few. I mean, I'm never allowed to forget Raphael Scheidt at Celtic. I will claim that that is a that was the the, the, the past century. But the name fellow... was the clue there, Tim. Wasn't Indeed, it? yeah, yeah. Um, that there's a fellow who emerged 2015 and then 2016 in Colombia. Fellow called Marlos Moreno, striker, who he was sensational. And I went I went big on him at the end of 2015 when he just helped his, his side in Colombia, Atletico Nacional, win the, the local championship. And during the, tw- the first half of 2016, he was un- unbelievable. And his team won South America's Champions League. And City bought him. And that's more or less the last anyone's ever heard of him. He's been loaned here, he's been loaned there, he's been loaned here in Brazil. He was in Mexico. He hasn't done anything, you know, in four was- years. Uh, when he moved to City, he said... I'm going to be Colombia's best ever European export, even better than, than Aspria. Uh, and I kind of believed it. Um, there, there are lots of reasons that things can go wrong. Uh, and it, it seems to have gone wrong for me more with Colombians than, than, than anyone else. Um, we, you've always got to remember there is a human being in there. And there are, there are, there are so many factors that, 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 can, that can influence performance and influence confidence. But over in, in recent times, that's the one that uh, I looked for six months or so to have got wonderfully right. And in the end, I got wrong. Yeah. And he moved to City with Gabriel Jesus, didn't he? I think, is that right? Yeah. yeah so I remember you mentioned time, them yes. both at the same time yeah. as well. Mm. And then they signed both of them. And, and at, at the very... time, at mm. the time, Marlos Moreno had done more than Gabriel Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, getting, steering things around to the Albion a little bit now, um, one Colombian, we've, you've, um, you've just mentioned Colombia. We've got, of course, Jose Izquierdo um, on our books. I mean, he's had a different problem. He's had injuries. That's uh, yeah. been a great shame for him because I felt he was a bit inconsistent at first, but you could see a quality player there. And he's got into his stride and then he's got injury after injury. He is actually just back from injury now. He's been playing for the 23s and hopefully he'll be back in soon. What's, um, what's your take on him? I mean, I don't know how much you've had a chance to see him, obviously, through the years but um 
do you reckon that he's got the potential to really shine in the Premier League if he can avoid injuries in the future? I have to say, when you brought up his name, I thought, oh, yeah, I'd forgotten all about mm. him. I'd even forgotten about his existence, you know, which is a, a, a lamentable lapse. I didn't see a great deal of him on the way up because he, he made his name much more in Europe than, mm. than in, in South America. So he was one of those who, when he first got called up for the Colombian national team, a lot of fans in Colombia saying, who? Who's that? Who's that then? Uh, and so uh, um, yeah, having to learn about him through watching him play for, for Colombia and, and then in the Premier League. I've never seen anything in him that makes me think he's going to be a world beater, but I think he's got, he's got enough. He's got a little cannon there in that foot of his, isn't he? And he's, he's, he's got enough pace and he's, 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 a, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a little bull as well. He's got enough strength. I certainly think he can, he can be useful, but uh, I, I wouldn't be picking him in, in any World eleven. Yeah, he's, he's certainly a player that's had his flourishes. I mean, Peter will attest that um, he scored two of Albion's best goals in recent times, certainly in the Premier League. Um, he, he, certainly goal one and goal two. I was going to say, he was, he was arguably our best player the second half of the first Premier League season. Yeah. And then the World Cup kind of ruined him, didn't he? He got an injury at the World Cup, despite hardly playing. And then, yeah. then he's kind of, yeah, dropped off completely, I mean, had injuries or just not been fit when available as well. It's a real shame. He scored two goals of absolute magnificence. One of them was a brilliant team goal. Screamers? Uh, one of them was, the, the, yeah. one of the first one I was going to mention, away at Stoke, which is always a pleasure to score there, um, especially the type of goal it was, and was, was straight out of Barcelona, top left, top of their game, passing that uh, move. It was food, wasn't there? It's like incredible. Him and March and then him and Stevens, and then a nice finish. It was, And it was so quick, and then boom, straight in the goal. It was a brilliant team goal. Best team goal, I think, the Albion have ever scored, possibly. Mm-hmm. And the other one was a screener. Yeah, well, I forget who it was against, actually, Peter. West Ham. Home to West, West Ham. Ham. Yeah. He scored a, a bit of a screamer away there, but then Hart probably should have stopped it. And, and then he scored a, an absolute screamer where one of those where it curls so far outside the post that there's no, the keeper has no chance because it suddenly curls back in again. Was yeah, so, so he's a cracking player uh, with potential to, to step on. One player who's come into us more recently, and I know you'll know a lot more about, is, of course, Alexis McAllister, um, that famous Scottish guy who isn't Scottish, or is he? Mm. <laughs> um, well, I, think, I, think it's, I think it's Irish originally. Oh, is it Irish? Ah, right. I think okay. so, yeah. And, um, I remember his, and his dad was an international player, um, left back, who uh, little redhead, and he looked like a kind of Gaelic kind of figure. Very, very nearly went to the 1994 World Cup. Uh, and uh, he has sown his seed because there are three of them. They're all three McAllister brothers who are all playing for Argentinos Juniors. Uh, and of the of the three, in fact, they had a team, uh, McAllister United. They, 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 they got, there were so many of them that uh, they got a team. Um, Alexis was clearly the best of of the three. Um, he's just been left out of Argentina's squad for next month's World Cup qualifiers, a preliminary list of 35. And he didn't even get in the list of, of 35. And that was a surprise to me. Uh, start of the year, we had the, the under-23 championships, um, the Olympic qualifiers, and he was the best thing in it. Yeah. And they do give a lot of credence to the 23s, don't they, as well? It's yeah, well, the 23, that was the 23s were coming back for the first time in years. But under-20s are really important. Um, so, uh, you know, to, to be that good in the under-23s, and he's played for the Argentina senior, senior team. Mm-hmm. He just got himself his first goal, his first Premier League goal for, for, for Brighton. Yeah. Um, he, he, he fascinates me in terms of where he's going to play. 
um, because with that kind of player, there's the temptation to put him wide. And I don't think he's quite quick enough. As He's, he's not a winger. He's, he's, an, he's an attacking midfielder who likes to operate through the centre, strikes the ball wonderfully well. He's got real class in that foot of his. And despite his relatively small frame, he gets in the box. He loves, and he's, he's good at the timing of the run in the box. Uh, so the, his goal and the way he scored it was very, very McAllister. But in order to do that, you want him centrally off the main striker. Now, is that considered, is he considered too much of a lightweight to play there in the Premier League? That's the question mark that hangs over him. What's your answer after what you've seen of him so far? Well, I think we're still discovering ourselves. I mean, we can bring Andy in on this as well if you if you want to have a word on this. Um, and for me, I think he's um, he looks like he's yeah an attacking mid or a, or a ten, and it's one of those that general sphere is where he would best be operating. He did score a head of goal in the League Cup as well, um, with, in exactly the way you described, getting into the box, timing his run, you know, finished it with a plomb, as they say, and. Um, I think he's uh, he's going to be around about there, about a, a number ten, I think. Andy, what what do you reckon from what you've seen? Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I think I, I think I think you're right, Tim. Um, I mean, what, what he has done this so far this season is he's got himself three goals, two in the um, Carabao Cup, or as I insist on calling it, the League Cup, and um, you know, and then against Palace, which always is always going to go down well with us. But other times when he's come on as a sub for 15, 20 minutes, he's not really been quite in it. I think he, um, he helped make the goal against Arsenal near the end of yeah. last season. Yeah. So I think, yeah, put the pause challenges about how he's going to get him in that scene, but he does look like if he, you know, if he's running at you with the ball and he's 20, 25 yards out, he's, he's, he's got the potential there to um, have a shot on goal, which, um, you know, from a Brighton point of view, um, uh, was, is a good thing because um, we don't seem to, we don't seem to take many chance, take um, we certainly don't seem to create many actual goal sh- shooting chances considering how much of the ball we've um, we've had. When you say, Tim, when you say a typical um, McAllister goal, I don't know if it's um, on this particular point, but the problem we've had is not quite getting our shots off quickly or clinically enough sometimes. And he was the standout in that Palace game for the fact that he did get his his shot in that little bit earlier gives less thinking time to the goalie. Um, it did take a little bit of a deflection, to be fair, as well. But um, is it that kind of thing you're talking about when you say a, a typical McCaster goal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm. Taken, uh, struck well, taken quickly. Uh, quick speed, speed of, of thinking, speed yeah. of technical, technical execution. Which is um, a big thing for you, isn't it? You mentioned quite a few times yes. that's the elements of football. Yes, yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm I'm rooting for him. I, I think, mm. it, and uh, great that he did it against Palace. You know, a lot of the Argentines, strong characters, they love a derby. So I'm, I'm sure, even without any fans in the stadium, I'm sure he <laughs> fed off the atmosphere. I think to be to be fair to him, he's only played like ten games over here, pretty much. I mean, he's still very new, and it is the Premier League is quite a different league to a lot of the I think South American leagues. It's quite a big jump as a lot of players have found. a lot a lot more established players have found like Veron and that sort of thing have struggled in the Premier League. And um, to be fair, as you're saying, it, it did take a deflection. But if you don't shoot, you don't get deflections. And that's probably where we kind of, we struggle sometimes, I think, in that sense. And I agree with Andy. I think he's probably a number 10 
and, and what you said as well, Tim, I think he probably is best suited there. The problem, in a way, is we brought Lalana almost for that position. So right. Right. Where, do you, where does he fit in from the start? Or does he become a, a sub for the first season and then move on to becoming a more regular star? So that's the, the worry. I mean, Lalana doesn't seem to be playing for 90 minutes, but it looks like he's going to start more often. So, And Tim, I know you've often, to quote you again, you've, you've often mentioned the, the transitional period from moving from South America to England directly versus going through one of the continental European nations, particularly of the Latin variety, is, is usually a, a more favourable route for them to assimilate themselves into the European game. Um, he's not done that. He's gone directly yeah. uh, to England. I think that's probably going to be a factor. Would you agree with that in this case as well? I think it's it's easier for the Argentines. Um, Argentina is on it's such a European country. Mm. Uh, it's 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 a little bit like a kind of third world Italy, I think, in some ways, Argentina. Um, but and and they're also they've got that mental strength very often. Yeah. That's something that not all the Colombians have. That's one of the reasons I think I've been I've been wrong with Colombians. While we're on the subject, there's one that you will know more about than I do because we're only discovering him recently, which is Stefan Al- Al- Alzat. Yeah, uh, I was exactly going to ask you that. How much do you guys know about him over there? Well. Uh, he's been getting into the national team, as a, or getting into the national squad. Hmm. Uh, I think he's a, he's a Londoner, isn't he? Who's um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, he's done he's done well in a in an unglamorous way, just keeping the thing ticking over, passing quickly. Um, but apart from that, I don't know a great deal about him. I'd never. I remember the first time he got called up for Colombia. I'd never heard of him. Who on earth is that? A bride? I'm in Brighton and I looked him up and saw that he was he was he was London born born and bred. So what what can you tell me about him? I I, I really like him actually. I think we were talking. Funny enough, we were talking about it earlier because he'd been left out the last couple of games. I think quite harshly actually. He still can be a bit naive. So our first game of the season against Chelsea, he he played a ball a pass unsighted and gave the ball away for their for a penalty for their first goal. But to me, he's he's very proactive. He, He's you know very kind of he can get into a tackle, but he'll also then carry the ball forward, and he'll he'll he looks like he's got very much the confidence of a young player. He he doesn't you know there's nothing that kind of really phases him. The one thing he does lack slightly at the moment is the final shot because like so many of Brighton's frustrating of our team, and he's come really close a few times. He had one allowed against Newcastle last season, and he's forced keepers into some really good saves. And he, he's one of those you feel if he gets a goal, he'll get a few. Then suddenly, mm. you know, once he gets his first. But I, I really rate him. I think he's a fantastic prospect. Excellent. Did, did he? Yeah, um, did he? Yeah, did he come from, was it late in Orient that he was out? Yeah. 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 So I mean, so I mean, he's clearly is. Um, going with his parents. I mean, when I've watched him play. Um, Technically, he's really good, and he's at his best when he gets the ball, and he's positive in his movement forward. Because once he, with that element of speed as well, he can actually create. You know, he can sort of turn a what's looking like a defensive um, position into attack really quickly. And when he's on, when he's on that, then then he looks good, and he gives us something. I think he might have, he might have struggled. I think it was the getting in for the Palace game because I think he'd only got back from the international. A day or so before, yeah. I was yeah. I was surprised that he wasn't started against um, um, West Brom the other night because I th- I felt if he was on top of his game that night, that's what we needed. We needed that bit of speed um, through the middle, and uh, when he's there, we're a lot more direct. So he gives us that option of going through the centre rather than going out wide and down the sides. 
So, I mean, I like the look of him. I think in terms of, you're right, I mean, he's created a few chances where he's almost over-elaborated, but I think some of that's about age, really. I think, you know, I think going forward, he could become a real player for us. He seems intelligent lad. I think he's got a good head on young shoulders there. Um, He looks like he's going to be quite versatile, but in a good way, not in a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none sense. I think in a better way than that. I think he's, he's improving all the time. And I think because of the where we are in the uh, in the league at the moment, hopefully he can flourish and improve from playing against obviously fantastic players week in week out. Uh, maybe two or three really good young midfielders as well. Isn't it? Mm. We've got Kasuma yeah. who is starting after a couple of seasons at the club to really find his form, and it's one of the first names on the team sheet now. And a, a young Irish player called Jason Malumbi who looks really good prospect as well. So there's a few of them in the, the middle of the park. Ironically, you're saying about you didn't really know him a year ago, or not less than a year ago. We didn't really know him a year ago either. He'd been, yeah. been swindled on loan and come back through injury and kind of we knew of his existence, but he wasn't yeah. regarded as being anywhere near the first team. And then Potter kind of saw him in pre-season, I think, and said, well, actually, no, he's not going out on loan. He's going to stick around and we're going to give him a game. And he played a lot more games last season than any of us would have thought even then, to be honest. Yeah, I, I mean, it would have been, I think it would have been questionable if, if Chris Hewitt had still been in in charge, I'm not I'm not sure he would have been given a chance. I think he would have gone out on loan again. So yeah. I think that's definitely something that Potter has brought to the um, you know to the squad. You know, he's um his willingness to try some of these youngsters and see something in them. And I think definitely Alzate has been a beneficiary of that. Well, in the last yeah. year and a half, we've gone from the oldest team pretty much in the league to the youngest, haven't we? So yeah, yeah. that show you kind of the difference. Yeah, and Albion have got very a very distinct. Um, deliberate policy to bring in quite a large number of players to, to filter into the uh, under-23s and below. Um, we, we're pretty much doing a mini Chelsea. We're, we're, re- we're learning out tons of people. during. I think we've got something stupid like 15, 16 out already on loan at the moment, with more probably to come. Um, and we're recruiting from all over the place. I think we're probably escalating that because of the potential changes with the, uh, the, the economic situation and uh, Brexit and various other things. But... Yeah, I mean, Alzati. Do you say how do you pronounce it, Tim? Is it Alzat? Do you say? I would say Alzati. Alzati. Yeah, yeah. He um, he uh, essentially was just one of a number of names that just came in. We'd not heard of him, of course, because he was he was young, and yeah, he went out on loan in the lower leagues. And some of those work, some of those don't. Some of those work later down the line. And so the fact that he just emerged from just a group of names into this this figure that's done so well. Um, particularly to get into the first team so quickly has been has been brilliant. Um, so yeah, he's he's a good prospect, and we're looking forward to seeing how he develops. Certainly. Um, on that theme, um, I've got to ask you as well. Uh, in your capacity, would you uh, say there's anybody out there that stands out as a good prospect and a realistic prospect for a club like Albion to sign from the South American region at the moment? Um reluctant to 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 buy them and if uh yeah. first of all i never knew that you lot called yourself albion oh. I've, I've learned that tonight i just thought you called yourself <laughs> brighton when the first time at albion i thought west brom what's 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 going on <laughs> um so uh i've i've, I've learned something um the, the other point is i i do think it's 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 uh, and this get, the gap gets wider every year the gap between club football here and and club football there some can bridge it but it's it's always going to be a gamble uh and uh, in order for a club like albion to uh to afford 
someone who is going to be really, really good. They're probably going to be young. And the, the danger there is they get loaned out, right. as was the case with Marlos Moreno. And, and that, that, that can be a disaster because uh, think of it from the, the, through the eyes of, of the young man. He's, he's, maybe he's 18, 19. He's already a big star in South America because he's playing for his club side. And then he goes to a club like Albion and they loan him out somewhere that have no interest in him. They've got no, you know, they've got no long-term stake in him. So from being the pampered wonder kid star, he's just another member of the squad. And a lot of the South Americans don't react very well to that. They love to be made to feel important. So it is, it is difficult. So I think a club of, of your stature is, I think is best off, I call it secondary scouting, looking at South Americans who've already come to Portugal or something. And, and, yeah. uh, and, and because of that process of adaptation for some of them is, is so difficult. So if they've already lived out of the country, you, it, it makes it, it means you do have to pay more for them, but I think it's, it's much less of a gamble. And on the subject of Argentinian players, of course, Spurs very famously had, a pair of players in the air. Uh, it was into the seventies and then the eighties, wasn't it? Um, in Aussie Ardiles and Ricardo Vija, I think is the correct well pronunciation. Yeah, well oh, done. Everyone gets that wrong here, don't they? Oh, they I'm do. A yeah, the first time I played when I was over here. This is this is ninety four, ninety five. I played against a team from Argentina, and when they found out that I was a Tottenham supporter, one of them said, "Ah, Ardiles, Ricardo Vija." What's, what's that you know and that, that's how i learned you know it's not via ricky via is he gonna go all the way that's how i learned yeah, of course we have leonardo Ajoa as well who, uh, yes with us yes. which which Lovely english guys. pundits that the english the english media seem to learn that one they seem yeah. to be because you know but because a lot of them caballero for example the, the goalkeeper a lot of them they, they can't do it but with with Ochoa, for some reason he, he obviously yeah. persuaded people really well that you know he obviously insisted you know my name is my name is you know he's not the real slim shady he is or sure <laughs> and I'm, as i said i'm a stickler for details i, I like to get the player or hear the player describe their own name and it's simple yeah. as that really more yeah. pay for example is more pay um people are saying more pay more pie all this but it's qualified just... for argentina i'm led to understand really yeah through his parent he's got what, an argentine parent Oh, right. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. It was in the Argentine sports media. So yeah. uh, it must be true. <laughs> yes, we believe it. Hmm. <laughs> but anyway, it's a hard thing for them to make up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's our future. Yes. Yeah. A random striker from Brighton suddenly a qualifier for Argentina does seem not, you know, if they started saying a, a high profile player, maybe. But. <laughs> um, but- on the, on the subject of Spurs, we've, had, we've we mentioned those two famous players from the uh, the earlier era, and I'm sure we're a major part of your um, your growing up watching games, Tim. Um, bringing Ollie back in because I'm conscious he's probably cooked himself in that sauna by now uh, that he's in over there. Um, <laughs> um, in the modern era, we've, of course, we've now got the likes of Lamella in the in the team. Um, first of all, I mean, first firstly to Ollie, South American players at Spurs. Um, What's your take on that? Who, who have you liked that's come in? Who's been your favourites? And what, what are you thinking for the future? Would you like to see any famous talents from South America come in who aren't there at the moment? 
I think for me, uh, it's only recently really had success. Well, I've only supported Spurs from the mid nineties. Uh, obviously, I've had Gus Poyer come in. I think I stopped watching football then. I didn't have Sky at the time, so it's quite hard to follow. But I think in recent years, uh, Lamella for me, uh, I would say he's been a stand-up player, but he's been a player who I think really has an Argentinian grit and spirit to so never say die attitude. And I think when he came to the league, a lot of people looked at him. They thought, oh, he's a Roma. He won't adapt to the English game. But I think he's changed his game for the better. He's more of a team player. And he's one of the players, I think, manages the game really well. And I have confidence when I see him on a pitch. And same with Lo Celso as well. I think he is a top quality player. And uh, Tim, just like to ask you if you've seen him and how far do you think he can take his game? Because I think... There's a great player in there. He reminds me of Modric and I want to know what sort of levels you believe he can reach. I'm a huge, huge fan. I saw a lot of him um, when he was first playing for Rosario Central and I, I just fell in love with him. Uh, Lo Celso, as he always was in Argentina. You never know how what, what they're going to do with the Italian. Oh, yeah, there's I so thought many, so, yeah. yeah. yeah there are so oh, many Pochettino, Italians. Pochettino, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Uh, I've, I've, I think he has referred to himself since as Lo Celso. But I think that's trying to make it easier for people because he was in Spain earlier when I doubt people would, would have done the Italian thing. But anyway, in Argentina, it was always Lo Celso. I'm a huge, huge fan. I think he's such a Tottenham-style player. Uh, he's a kind of... Um, maybe he doesn't have everything that Ericsson has, but he has other things that Ericsson didn't. And Ericsson, for me, was never there in the big games. I never trusted Ericsson in the big games. I hope that I, I can trust Lo Celso to really put a shift in the, in the big games. And that left foot is a wand. A magic wand. I love that. Love is his is, is left foot. So I'm, I'm really optimistic about him. It, for me, the way he was signed said a lot about what the club are. Because, you know, obviously, I mean, Pochettino wanted him. Uh, and how did they do it? They waited until the last day of the transfer window to bring him on loan. As a kind of as a kind of insurance policy, if Ericsson moved on, you know, it it it, it said a lot about the, uh, the the priorities of of the club. Uh, it's a club that's uh, that's that's a business as well. Um, with Lamella, and Lamella was a huge star in Argentina from a very young age. I remember um, watching him on Transworld Sport ages ago, and I was young, waking up in the morning and seeing his kid of long blonde hair, and that's it. Yeah. yeah. He had, uh, um, I remember being in Argentina years ago and he was on the front page of the sports paper and he was 13. Uh, and the idea was he was another Messi. Uh, and uh, there were clubs trying to get him over very, very early. And River Plate got a job for his dad and so on. And, and, and there was this idea of a super player. And often I think with Lamella, I see an interesting player, but one who's totally frustrated that he's not as good as he thought he was he was he was he was going to be uh i like him but i i, I look at him as a kind of nearly man uh, and i always think he's gonna, he's he's on the verge of a of, of a second yellow uh he's always a candidate and just while we're on on pronunciations and this is one that links tottenham and and brighton this is one that i learned the first time i was in uruguay when a journalist thrust a thrust a microphone under my nose and said that, and asked me uh, how poget was doing Poget? Oh, that's how you say Poye, is it? It's Poget. And I, I did TV with him in the 2007 Copa America. He was in the studio in London and I was in Venezuela. Uh, and I made a point of saying Poget. 
and he was just so happy. He said, it's the first time, it's the first time that one of you English says my name the right way. The first <laughs> time. So, uh, Poget, that's what yeah. he is. We've had the pleasure of meeting him, haven't we, Peter? He, um, we should explain, actually, Tim, we're um, committee members for Seagulls Over London, a supporters group of Albion fans in London, um, who are our sponsors as well, we should mention. Um, but we actually had the pleasure of his company um, when we were a smaller scale operation. So if you imagine a typical English pub, it's actually Harvey's Owned, um, which is the local Sussex um, brewery. I think it's the only pub or one of the only pubs owned by Harvey's in London. And we used to meet there, it's in London Bridge, uh, called the Royal Oak, I think. And um, we uh, used to meet in the upstairs room, which essentially is, if you can picture a big oval table, like a sort of committee table, and we all sit around the table there and have meetings, chatting in Albion, just usual banter and a few beers. And imagine into that scene, we have one of our regular guests comes in, and it's it's Mr. Uh, Poget, and uh, he's sitting there in a, upstairs in a pub with about 30, 35 of us, just chatting football for about two and a half hours. Fantastic. Absolutely magnificent. And he was so engaging. He's uh, a very Did lovable character. Did I make that up? Sorry, Peter? Did Rico come with him? Or was that a different time? Or... Um, Rico, no, I, don't I don't think he was. Yeah, no, no. I mean, you could... Tim, you could you could see um, where he gets his nickname Radio from, though. I mean, yes. and from a from a journalist yes. point of view, he must be it must have been a godsend because he just he just loves talking, doesn't he? he just he doesn't does. shut up. Yeah. <laughs> he was sometimes he was a, as a as the coach. He was he was he could be a little bit irritating because sometimes you just thought he was getting involved in stuff that you didn't as a fan you didn't really want him to get involved in, and. Um, and I think he kind of always, at that point, I think saw us as a stepping stone to somewhere else. But yeah, he did say that an awful lot, didn't he, in the media? I think that's one of the things. Yeah, that yeah but he certainly transformed. And, and I get that Brighton at that time weren't the most, um, you know, the perfect match for a, like, someone of big ambition. Yeah, maybe don't be quite so open about it. Yeah, but he certainly transformed the way that we played. You know, and, and we haven't, from that point of view, I think we've only got better over time in that sense. One, one of the things I was thinking while you were talking about maybe some players you haven't quite got right and that sort of thing, it must be really difficult being in touch with football in so many different countries across a massive continent. Because most well, I've, only got, I've only got 10. I've only got 10 countries. That's um, quite a lot, though. Most, most journalists yeah. over here only have one really they focus on a lot of the time. Or Yeah, yeah. Uh... But there are like pan-European journalists or, or pan-African journalists or pan-Concacaf, and they've all they've all got more countries than than I have. Mm. And, the, and the main thing that I, that I focus on is the Champions League over here, the the, the Libertadores, and World Cup qualifying, obviously, because and firstly, it's the best World Cup qualifying tournament in the world. It's brilliant, South American World Cup qualifiers, fantastic. They all play each other, don't they? In the- yeah, it's like a big group of 10. Yeah. And th- there's no such thing as an easy away game. So it- it- it's really, really competitive. And, um, and there-, there are kind of three things that give you most media interest. One is national teams, um, especially Brazil and Argentina. Two is young players on the way up. You know, who's going to be the next Messi and so on. Three is like the silly exotic things that happen, like games where everyone gets sent off, you know, and, and the, the English media can say, look at those mental South Americans. So they're the big stories that, that, that tend to sell. Um, but day in, day out, what I'm doing more than anything else is watching games in the, in, in the Champions League, the, the Libertadores. It is tough sometimes because I'm, 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 I'm jealous of 
of journos who work in top level European football, because the standard of what they're seeing is just so much better than the standard of what I'm seeing, you know, and I, I feel very much that I'm, I'm, I'm on the, I'm on the periphery and you didn't feel that 30 or 25 years ago. You didn't feel that you were on the, on the periphery. Now I really feel that uh, we're on the periphery. Say even with Not, the major stages then, the really big games, the, quarterfinal semi-final sort of thing is that still well, yeah i mean there are still teams that and even in, in the final you know the, the teams that, that in europe they would they really wouldn't be wouldn't be very good um that the gap has really opened up and not only in terms of the quality of players but also in terms of the quality of ideas because you know top top class european football the exchange of ideas that's going on is it's so dynamic uh, and you, Brighton is obviously an example. You're talking about Poget implanting a model of play and, and you've built on that. You know, for those of us who remember English football as it was in the 80s, you know, it just, it's, just, it's, it's a different sport, isn't it? The pitches are so much better. The players are so much fitter and better because they're coming from all over the world, you know. Um, so uh, I, I'm, I am jealous in that sense of those who are watching um, top level Europe, European football and what I've got I think is is a kind of cultural context because when you think of like Uruguay what do you think of what else is there to think of apart from football maybe Frey yeah. Bentos or something you know but that, that that's it so that, you know, that, that, American derbies are so big in a way that's kind of like the, the rivalries are huge aren't they over there yeah and the, and I actually don't like it I don't like I don't like there's not a lot of derbies that I like. I mean, it's a side of football. I don't like it when it get when it, when it's too much hate involved. I don't like it. I, I like I like being mates with uh, with you know the fans of the teams that you just played, uh, and the the whole hate thing. You know, stand up if you hate Arsenal. I don't hate anyone really. Um, I, I haven't you know. I mean that, that that depresses me. Some of some of the emotions that football brings to the surface. Uh, some of them are really healthy, and Lord knows we need it. You know, in this in this individualized, atomized society, the collective catharsis of football is increasingly important, and it, it is a great way to make friends. Um, so, you know, if you weigh up the good side and the bad side, the good side is much, much better than the bad. But there are negative emotions of hatred that I, I could do without. Yeah, the mo- the most. Um... I think beneficial and enjoyable thing for me for the for football. It's certainly not the football being an Albion fan usually, although we're playing quite well at the moment. But it's generally the social side of it, and that's of course the thing that's greatly being missed at the moment with yeah. football being behind closed doors for a lot of us. And uh, that's that's a great shame. But I agree with you, Tim. It's really it's great to be in a pub chatting to the fans of the other club. I remember going to Newcastle a couple of seasons ago and had an absolutely fantastic evening in a crowded pub after the game. We won the match one 0 chatting to the Geordies and just, you know, random strangers in the pub in any normal circumstances, particularly if you're in the south of England, as opposed to the north, you wouldn't normally <laughs> get into a conversation. As you know, it's friendlier in the north uh, in some respects. Um, and it's, it's just great to have a chat at a pub with these random strangers and they want to find out a little bit about the club. And it's I've always enjoyed that aspect of it. And with, with regards to the Palace rivalry, I mean, it does get spicy on match days and I do get into an animated pantomime state about things, but ultimately, in the cold light of day, chatting Palace fans are irritatingly nice. Usually, the ones I've met, um, and it's it's really hard to hate them when they're like that. <laughs> well, they have a, a Palace on. Certainly, the last time I was there, there was there was an eagle flying. You know, pre the pre yes. there was an eagle flying from one end of the pitch to the other. Do you lot have a seagull doing the same thing? 
Yeah, I think... Um... <laughs> They're not trained. <laughs> I think the eagle at Selhurst died. Uh, she, she, she died about a few months ago, I think. Is that right? There was a big thing about that, actually. So they obviously they use it to keep the uh, other birds off the, uh, off the stadium seats and doing their own style of decoration, etc. Um, <laughs> but it's, I like those traditions. I mean, it's, it, that goes for, I think, is it Benfica and somebody else do it, I think, as well, a couple of other clubs, the Eagles. But um, I think we did have um, some kind of bird of prey doing a similar job at the Amex, if I'm not mistaken, guys. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I run it to keep, our, to keep the seagulls away, ironically, wasn't it? Or... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know also if you know, Tim, we used to be called the Dolphins before the Seagulls. Yeah, on Palace, whenever the Eagles, they were the Glaziers. It was yeah. Malcolm, Alli- Malcolm Allison who rebranded them as, as, as the Eagles. Yeah, uh, and, and we're known as the Seagulls off the back of the nickname Eagles as well, because it was in a pub. Somebody apparently wow. gave a riposte to Palace fans singing at us. We sang back Seagulls, which of course is a more impositional almost same sound, or in positional with the S at the beginning. Uh, yeah, that's where that comes from, apparently. Wow. <laughs> there you go. So you've got that and the Albion as the two uh, bits to take away from tonight, yeah, whatever else yeah. happens. <laughs> um, going back to Spurs a bit, growing up, um, who were your idols? Because for me, I remember seeing Spurs in the early days. I was My first game was 79, so I'm technically a glory hunter, first four years, top division. And Spurs were one of the first teams I saw play. I absolutely loved Garth Crooks and Glenn Hoddle and the likes of them coming to the Goldstone ground, as it was. Um, who, who were your idols growing up? I'm, I'm going to guess Hoddle was the man. Uh, I'm, I'm going before that, actually, Steve Perriman. Oh, yeah. And I'll tell you why. You know That 71-72 that season, which was the first one that I really followed, the sticker album and, and, and the likes, mm. Perriman was the youngster. So he was the one that I kind of identified with. Uh, and uh, there was a game on the radio. And, uh, you know, in, in our childhood, almost all football was on the radio, wasn't it? There, there, there wasn't a great deal else. But it was the, um, the semi-final of, uh, I think it was the first edition of the UEFA Cup. Uh, and uh, we're at home to, to Milan, AC, AC Milan. Uh, and I was uh, old enough, I wasn't yet seven, but I was old enough to know that this was something serious. You know, in fact, it was much more serious in the final, which was against Wolves, you know, which is not the most glamorous way to, to win a European trophy against a, a team from the black country. Um, but so, so the semi-final was the real one. And uh, home to, to AC Milan and Perriman scored both goals and he didn't get a lot of goals. He ended up kind of sacrificing. He was a, he was a, he was a kind of child prodigy who ended up Kind of sacrificing himself for the side and and doing uh, uh, and doing more defensive duties in the end he became a right back a sweeper and a right back um, but he, uh, there, were, there were real hopes of him as a, as a kind of all round midfielder and that night is is a big night in his career because we, we we won and he scored both of the goals so uh, um, I had a an instant identification with 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 Steve Perriman um, Gilzine uh, uh, mm. with, with his Martin Peters. Because I could kind of vicariously live the 1966 World Cup through the fact that by in the early 70s Tottenham had uh, had, had Martin Peters. Yeah, and um, I'll probably ask at this point Ollie as well to you. Um, obviously, different era in terms of um, who would have been the idols, but who who was your um, who, who's your main man? For me, I'd have to say oh, first person I really wanted to be when I was in the playground playing football was Darren Anderton. I always fancied myself as a winger and 
just the way he played and I think just his head, I thought his head had cool as well. I was like, yeah, he's a great player. And I think his him and Sheringham for me and Klinsman as well. That's when I sort of, sort of first really started following football. Cried when we lost to Everton in the FA Cup final, mm-hmm. or semi-final, sorry. But I think in more recent years, it's been Ledley King. I think one club man, he was immense and probably could have gone to the top of the game if it weren't for injuries. So I'd say definitely Ledley for me, sort of my years of supporting Spurs. Yeah, he's an immense player, wasn't he, Ledley King? I've really rated him and such a shame for the injuries. Yeah, but that does explain why you nearly scored a wonder goal for our Sunday league team that time, uh, the winger thing. Um <laughs> Tim, all he, all he had this, uh, you know, he's he, he, super sub. He came on and I think you... I played well, left, you, left fullback, yeah. I yeah, usually played, played fullback, yeah. You disarmed them, you caught them off guard and then just skimmied past a couple of them and almost curled it in from an impossible angle. I, I would have loved that to have gone in. It would have been one of my favourite goals ever. <laughs> Should have done like Anderton and crossed it. <sighs> definitely, definitely. Uh, most of our Sunday team follow Anderson's other traits. Uh, they're usually injured all the time, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, um, so on the Spurs subject, I mean, going back to Tim, so in the current era, obviously living in Brazil, you're not getting a chance to see much firsthand nowadays. Um, I guess you're catching a fair few games through uh, through TV. What's your take on the current era, um, the current manager, and for, have you been to the stadium as well? Have you stayed I haven't, in? no. I've, I only had one opportunity. Um, it was just over a year ago. When uh, my wife, she runs half marathons, so I brought her over and she did a, a half marathon in, in the London parks, which was a kind of dream for her. And uh, it was her last Saturday and we had Watford at home. And, uh, you know, I thought I can't I can't do it to her. You know, <laughs> it's a it's a cold day at the end of October. I can't take her to, to, to Watford at home. You know, I've got to do something. You know, <laughs> uh, So I haven't haven't seen the new stadium. Um, I'm. I'm very interested in in Ollie's take on on this because I'm still a kind of widow of of Pochettino. You know, it, it's it's hard for me to get used to the idea of of Mourinho. I really respect Mourinho, really respect him, but you know, he, it, it, things are going so much better than expected, especially after that. You know, the the, the opening day against Everton, when Christ, they were shit. <laughs> You're thinking this is so depressing, and there was one towards the end of last season, which wasn't very long ago. Was it nil nil at Bournemouth or somewhere like that, where you know they hardly crossed the halfway line? You're thinking, for fuck's sake, um, I don't mind losing. I don't mind, but I'm a Tottenham fan. It's got to be a glorious defeat. Oh, oh completely, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, Jose's pragmatism. Um, so. Even though things are going, seems to be going extremely well, I, I still I feel a distance. I don't feel uh, the proximity to the side that I had when it was when it was Pochettino's side. How do you feel about it, all? Oh, well, for me, uh, I think with Pochettino, I think there was an awful amount of emotional energy spent with being nearly men, say the Champions League final, the Leicester season, the Chelsea season. I think that took away a lot of his love and passion for the game out of it. And I feel probably for the best uh, for him and for us that we parted ways. I I was devastated when he left as a big fan. I just loved his personality around the club. Uh, Hadn't really felt about that way like as a manager as I did for for Martin Yol. But I think we had relative success with 
uh, Poch. Uh, but what I think my sort of views of, of him, I think he was very decisive in signing players. Uh, understanding passed uh, on a, quite a few players that we maybe should have signed and say also in-game decisions as well, I believe. I can't really remember him sort of changing a game. Uh, but for me, I think Mourinho's come in and he's been very pragmatic with his signings, brought in uh, Carlos Vinicius on loan. And I think it's one of those where it could be a success, it couldn't. Uh, and we've also got in Hoiberg, I think has done really well for us. But he's been decisive and he's signed these players. Whereas in past seasons, I think Poch would have looked at him and thought, oh, no, would they really improve us? I think that's a difference there for us. He's been decisive. He's made changes. I think the squad was still needed to freshen up. And if Pochettino hadn't done that, then who knows where we would be now. Well, that Vinicius and Hoiberg, that sounds like a gladiator and a Scandinavian beer. <laughs> I'm, I'm loving it. It's great. Um, no, they've, they've got a good team there. I think they can move on. Harry Redknapp thinks that you guys can win the title. Uh, he said a few weeks ago on, I think it was on Sky Sports News. Um, that might be a step too far, but I don't know. This season's been strange. I actually don't... don't think if any season's going to happen for, yeah. someone like, yeah. for someone like Tottenham, I think we were saying earlier, it, it almost is going to be this season because it's so so weird. City have yeah. already dropped a load of points. Liverpool have, you know, it's it's almost a year where things could be a bit weird. Liverpool have only got three centre halves left, of which one is injured half the time. In Matip. Because is there shades of Leicester, the Leicester season, a little bit here in terms of the opportunity? I I, I happen to be in the stadium. And apologies for people who've heard this before. When Leicester won the title, because oh. they won the title as a result of Tottenham drawing 2-2 with Chelsea at Stamford yeah. Bridge. Uh, and I, w- I, was, I was around, I was with her indoors, uh, and uh, Chelsea gave me tickets, which was very nice of them. You know, I've done a couple of things for their media stuff, so they gave me tickets. So I'm in, in with the Chelsea fans. Uh, and Chelsea <laughs> have had a terrible season. The only thing they want to do is prevent Tottenham winning the league. It's all they want to do. Uh, and uh, Tottenham open up a, a 2-0 for a lead uh, and I'm kind of celebrating quietly uh, and uh, in the second half and it's a very feisty game I think ten, we, we had 10 yellow cards we should have had a few reds really it was all going on and there were a couple of long term bans after that game as a result yeah, they, 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 they may well have been yeah. and then Chelsea came back and uh, they drew 2-2 Hazard the equaliser was a fantastic goal fantastic goal I think it was the only thing he did that year was you know making sure that Tottenham couldn't win the title. So the you know has a, when they're they're celebrating the, the the second goal, and they're all they're just going berserk. You know it's like they're Wembley stopping Tottenham from from winning the league, uh, and uh, the most uh, emotionally charged up of the Chelsea fans. He sees that I'm not really celebrating, and he turns round to me and he says, Are "You a Tottenham fan?" And uh, thankfully. My wife looks very, very Brazilian. She's of indigenous stock, and I'm, I've got a, a, a healthy tan myself. So I just play the Brazilian cards, you know. <laughs> I am, I, I am from Brazil. I am from Brazil. Uh, uh, William, William is very good, very good, William. Uh, and uh, that one, that one got me out of it. And uh, and Leicester won the league. So um, if uh, whoever wins the league, I, I hope it, I hope it ends up with a story as entertaining as that one. Did you have a hotchy doggy at half time, Tim? Yeah, maybe, maybe, yes. <laughs> yes. 
Okay, and finally then, we'll round it up there. We're by give, having a talk about the game this weekend. We're recording this on Tuesday evening, uh, UK time. Um, the game is Sunday, UK time in the evening, uh, 7.15, I think it is, the kick-off. Um, what do we think is going to happen in this one? We, ha- we had Ollie in the last episode, and Ollie, you were saying 3-2 either way, which is very this season's Premier League, that one. Um, are you sticking with that, first of all? I'll stick with it. I think it's very unpredictable. I think okay. our defence is susceptible. Peter, how do you think we're going to do? Um, I think we probably will score, but Spurs will win comfortably 3 or 4-1, probably. Yeah. Especially if we defend, uh-huh. we've done... We did well. We play like we did second half against West Brom. We'll be what we won't have a hope. <laughs> yeah, let's not mention that anymore, please. And, and Andy B, what do you think? Yeah, Andy? I mean, I, I think, I think we're going to lose three one. I think, I think Son and um, Kane are going to have us have them out of sight by um, by half time. Well, I also think we're going to lose three one. Um, we're really positive tonight, aren't we? <laughs> we're, we're all we're all glowing with optimism here, you know. Um, so that leaves Tim with the final word on the, on the match. What do you think is going to happen? Well, I, I was going to say 3-1, but that's become a bit dull now. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to say it, it was 3-1. But right at the end, Alexis Mack gets you another one early then, and you go down to a dignified 3-2 defeat. I'd probably take that right now. <laughs> Fair chance, Spurs will three. That sounds <laughs> very Brighton, actually, doesn't it? Yeah, good, good, but not quite there. Yeah. yeah. Well, we keep losing by a solitary goal in the, in the game so far at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So... I wouldn't be surprised if that happened again. We'll have to wait and see. Also, but, didn't we the first season lose 1-0, then 2-1 last season? So, surely oh, yeah. 3-2 is the only uh, possible scoreline. <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting there for next season's game if we survive. 4-3 <laughs> defeat, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be great, that. Um, excellent. Well, we'll see what happens. So, guys, thank you very much for joining us. Um, to Peter, as always, to Andy for making his third appearance on the podcast in a row. He's, uh, he's really started as he means to go on. Uh, thank, you. <laughs> thank you again to Ollie uh, for joining us. Um, hope you enjoyed that one. Oh, thank you for having me. It was lovely to talk. Yeah. Excellent. And very, very special thanks to our special guest, Mr. Tim Vickery. Thank you for joining us, Tim. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope we didn't keep you too long. And, no, it was, um, uh, it was a huge pleasure. Um, it wasn't quite as much of a, as a pleasure as I've got this memory of Brighton. Uh, I've, got, I've got a mate who's obsessed with boxing. And right at the early days, he picked out Chris Eubank as one to watch. Oh, yes. Uh, and uh, we both went down. This is, it must be early, I don't know, early, maybe spring of 1990. He, he still was a little bit under the radar screen. And uh, it was an Argentine he was fighting at Brighton Center. You know, Brighton Center with Eubank. Uh, and um, we, went, we, we, went, we went down to the fight. And it's it's I've just got this idyllic memory of it's spring, early evening, and you get off the train station, and the view down is just so beautiful. You know, when you, you've been through the hard winter, uh, and uh, you know that view, it's like it was like it was it was like the yellow brick road. You know, watching uh, the, the view down to down to the coast. Uh, and then we, you know, went went in and and, and watched Eubank win a win a, a fairly fairly dull fight. The fight doesn't live in the memory, but the the walk down was like wow. You know, winter's over, summer's here. It's to be enjoyed, and what a place to enjoy it, Brighton. Fantastic! I think those are great words to finish on. Glad you enjoyed your time down there. Maybe we'll see you down there again in the future. Who knows? I would love to. Would love to. I, lo- I love the place. I've got a mate who lives down there. 
uh, who um, and he's he's from the north originally, uh, and uh, he, he uh, the first night he was there, he went to uh, a karaoke. I think it might be our karaoke on a pier, and there was this old guy who kept on doing. Back to the beat with the Renegade Masters. Power to the people. Power to the people. Back to the and this old guy doing that. You know the fellow running the karaoke was saying we can't get him off. You know, and and my mate there was thinking this is a place I want to live. You know, <laughs> where there's old people singing back to the beat with the Renegade Masters. Power to the people. And he's still there now. And that that must be uh, 25 years now. It's certainly an eclectic place to be. I have to say. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much, guys. It's been a pleasure. Um, let's see what happens at the weekends. I'm, I still think it's going to be 3-1, uh, but we'll see. We'll see. In the meantime, thanks again to Tim, to Ollie, to Peter and to Andy. Um, I've been Russell Guyver. I still am. And thank, thank you, guys. So, Peter, over to you to see us out with the usual signature. Stand or fall. Up the Albion. Cheers, guys. Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.